1: Hello, and welcome to The Lesser Bonapartes, um, live from our cannabis yurt. <laughs> That's right. You see, we
3: here at the, uh, well, I guess we're, we're doing an eastern border-ish, so I guess we're still The Lesser Bonaparts, but we'll call this show The Even More Eastern Border, because uh, uh, yes. Christops and Alice have condemned us to a work camp in Siberia, but you know what? The joke's on them, because guess what, assholes? We're in our element. We're among the step nomads now.
1: Oh yeah, that's it. That. We uh, we what get what now? Uh, <laughs> oh man, we're just we're sipping on a, a on a skin of uh, fermented mare's milk, and mm-hmm. um, we we're, we're gonna just taking a giant rip in the cannabis yurt. Ah, oh, yep. love it. Oh man, gonna be up bright nearly early tomorrow for uh, horseback target practice, and uh, maybe uh, <laughs> after a couple weeks of that, we'll go ahead and, and uh, invade over those Caucus Mountains like we've always been wanting to.
3: Exactly. I mean, it's really it's the thing to do, but uh, yeah, yeah. In the in the meantime, in the meantime, we do have to pass the time some uh, some way. I mean, there is there is kind of a mean looking commissar uh, who keeps ordering us to go mine something called asbestos, uh, which oh. doesn't sound too bad. It has the word best in it, so that's pretty good. Yeah, be- um, best is right there. As best is right in the word. But I think you know, honestly, we're gonna have to get ourselves out of this whole like uh, work camp situation. And I was thinking, like, what's the best way to do that? And you know what, Glenn we got to free our asses and our minds will follow. Let's
1: just, just talk about music, music in the Soviet union, you know? Oh yeah, man. We're nothing if not a bunch of record store dorks as, uh, as, as you all know, <laughs> if you listen to us. So we're going to pass the time by talking about Soviet pop music and, um, some of our favorite examples and, and what Soviet pop music was, uh, if you'll permit me, Daniel. Yeah, sure. Please. Uh, uh, pop groups um in the conventional sense emerged only in the 1960s as we are we are told um and um, well you would think that hey this is the Soviet Union how why would pop music be allowed well we have to keep the people happy as we are know we, as we know and <laughs> happiness is mandatory within the Soviet Union <laughs> that is right but there were there was uh, there was bu- pop bureaucracy I guess I'll call it. Yeah. And um, in the early sixties, some famous, some famous um, pop bureaucrats emerged, such as Claudia Shulzenko, Leonid Utsav, and Lyubov Orlava, are as they were known, the People's Beatles. Um, hey, all right. No, just, no, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, every pop song written and performed had to first run through the um, the rigorous censorship, as we are told, of yeah. the uh, I, probably not um, probably w- was more like a DMV, but for some reason seems so ominous to me when I hear it. The Arts Council. Oh yes, um. <laughs> I've actually i've
3: i've uh, I've read a little bit about the Arts Council before. And this is kind of roundabout, but I, I swear it's, it's kind of related. But there is a there's a really cool uh, Russian science fiction author team, two brothers, the Strugatsky brothers, and uh, they wrote um, a, a particular novel that I really enjoy called Roadside Picnic, which was later adapted into the Tarkovsky film Stalker, if you know that one.
1: Oh, oh yeah um, yeah, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh but in the there's a, a new edition of roadside picnic came out and uh, of course i snapped it up because uh you know uh, i think they're fascinating writers and it had a long introduction about the struggle to get the damn thing published because you had to keep running it by the arts council like your local art bureaucrat and it's for a couple of uh you know swinging americans like ourselves who are used to you know doing whatever we want and you know maybe someone will catch up with us Th- this idea of like running everything by you know yeah running everything by city hall basically before you could do anything with it is very it- it's it's interesting to think about but in this at the same time it doesn't necessarily mean that you wouldn't be able to create cool and interesting art like these Strugatsky brothers did it may not have been what they initially set out to do but even the final product that passes the art council has been some fascinating work and I- and i imagine a lot of these Soviet pop stars were kind of the same way,
1: in a way, because um you had to um you had to work within these these narrow confines. Officially, officially, um the only two types of songs allowed were either patriotic or lyrical mm-hmm. songs. Lyrical meaning, you know, fanciful, you know, I want to hold your hand type songs. Maybe um, right, right, not a- it, emotions it, that course, are approved yeah. of. <laughs> yes happiness emotions you know such as you know you know everything's you you could sing a patriotic song about how great the state was or you could write you know a kind of a, oh what a beautiful sunset type songs but right. of course there was nothing provocatory could be written at all yeah. um, which which um, there was a very tightly knit composer's union there were um, lyrics could only be written by what um, poets, um, we have some names here. Dobra, uh, Dobran Bravov, um, Pos Desvinsky, uh, Tanich Etten, uh, Derbenev. These are poets that the state, um, considered quote unquote trustworthy. Um, <laughs> right. But you, you could, you could sneak a little bit in there. You could work. I mean, they weren't necessarily reviewing the musical content. Really, what they were concerned about was the, um, was uh the the um the lyrical content really um yeah yeah so you could write a song that was kind of groovy if you wanted to um (laughs) at (laughs) the time that was
3: that was something that was kind of cool like the because i read a little bit about especially in the 60s these were like these groups that came out were called what was like vocal and instrumental ensembles like was the (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't even bands they had like a they have an acronym via for these things and I and I, I took a I took a couple for a spin, I went on YouTube, uh, you know, looking for a few of these uh you know, bands names that came up. And honest to God, the the closest sort of cognate I could think for us Western type folks is that I mean it sounds an awful lot like kind of flute rock. Like canned heat maybe. Ye- <laughs> canned oh like or are, are like, like I think it's some a of the, down, the yeah, yeah.
1: Can't Heat are some of the more like uh, power ballady Kansas songs or Jethro sure, Tull? Sure, um, sure. Yeah, or like Mamas but, and the we're, Papas. We're to- or- yeah. <laughs> Mamas and the Papas, yeah. But th- this folk rock music was the most common type. Like I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah. In the 60s and the 70s, um, the predominant music that was allowed by the Arts Council um, was this folk music, this you know kind of flute, harp, um, heavy um traditional style um, Soviet instruments were, were used. Yeah. Um, and we were told also that um, and I read a great article here um, on a there's um if you ever wanted to learn as an American, I'm sure you know Christstoffs being boots on the ground would kind of stuff. but a site I really got into as I was uh, researching this was a site uh, a website called Russia Beyond the Headlines. Um, okay, yeah. With all kinds of, with all kinds of cool stories in it. And we're told that a lot of these folk bands of the sixties and seventies were musicians, but actually forced to perform by the government these songs, starting in huh. the 1950s and the sixties to perform this folky type music, this flute rock, like you, like you yeah, said, yeah. which is, which is perfect. Um, because, um, thank you, because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. I listen to some because you can find some tons of examples on YouTube, and I recommend you do that. Um, uh, the Arts Council, um, you know, kind of put out its Bible in the 1950s and, um, about you know, the guidelines of song, such as that could not, um, lead to the destruction of Soviet society's moral values or demonstrated a quote <laughs> lack of patriotism. Yeah. or another one my 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 personal favorite could not quote be an imitation of western smut um hmm. and mm-hmm. which is the other thing we wanted to touch on because what this Soviet propaganda and censorship was really trying to do was promote national values quote unquote yeah a, a music i a, a musical identity that was antithetical to western music, which at the time was you know, the vocal groups, um, pop and rock and roll. Yeah. Which is funny cause we were talking about this earlier about how in, in, in the in the West, in America, they thought that Russia, uh, rock and roll was sort of the decadent music that would lead to communism. Right. <laughs> oh, that's,
3: no. uh, that's cool that you bring up the, uh, that those guidelines about like, you know, this music should uh, encourage, you know, good citizenship and, you know, not corrode morals. Because that's the same line that all of the, like, moral guardians in the United States were doing about rock and roll. Like, both of these... And I thought that was really interesting to think about for, like, what are supposedly diametrically opposed regimes, like the hyper-capitalist United States of the post-war era and the, you know, the socialist Soviet Union. were still both really concerned with making sure that, like, kids didn't shake their groove things
1: too much. (laughs) Yeah, they both... Well, yeah. Whereas, we, I guess, yeah, the ultimate thing, I guess, whereas in in the West in America at the time in the nineteen fifties, um, kind of the the backlash to rock and roll went hand in hand, really, with um, you could say it was a segregationist thing. It was mm-hmm. led by these moral authorities that didn't like the idea that um, you know, white kids were dancing with black kids and listening to what they called at the time race records. Um, right. Right. Things like that so that was kind of it was tied up with that whereas in Russia it was more along the lines of I think it was like well you know they're gonna start dancing and having a good time and think that hey this stuff coming from America is okay we don't hate the Americans we like we this little, yeah, yeah. little Richard guy sounds all right I mean if they're having this much fun in America why should we hate their way of life right it kind of undermines
3: yeah. the the concerted propaganda effort that the Soviet state had and really all the Eastern Bloc regimes had to try to depict the West as this unending grind of misery. And and honestly, like that's, you know, that's the same picture that you and I grew up with of the Eastern Bloc here in the States, which, you know, it may have been a little closer to the reality, but at the same time, one of the, and I will say one of the cool things about uh, Christophe's project with eastern border, d- despite the fact that he uh, overthrew us and sent us to this Siberian yeah. work camp. Well, one of the cool things about it is that, like, by getting this kind of perspective about how people actually lived their lives, you know, it wasn't just everyone going around with slumped shoulders humming Volga boat song all day long. Like, people right. people were living their lives. And one of the cool things that I looked into uh, when we were talking about, like, what we want to talk about in pop music in the Soviet Union is the various ways that uh, people actually subverted these attempts at state control. Um, And probably the absolute best one that I discovered. And I honestly, I had no idea this was a thing and it has become my new favorite thing in the world, Glenn.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt
2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. And this is a kind of, uh, so, so
3: your listeners are probably familiar with the term Samizdat. And this was a term for like the underground publishing industry at the time. It was basically like you would have, uh, publications or pamphlets that were not state-approved, but a, a dude had a mimeograph machine that he stole from, you know, people's office block 1A and took into his basement, and you're running off, you know, uh, these unapproved pamphlets. And so there was a movement called Magnetisdat, which was the creation and distribution of censored music via dubbed magnetic tape. But even better than that was a phenomenon called Röntgenisdat, So what does that mean? Well, remember, a fellow named Röntgen is the guy who discovered X-rays. So this was a kind of pirate music distribution where Soviet citizens would go dumpster diving at hospitals and pull out the plastic X-ray films, discarded plastic X-ray films, and cut records out of them. They would use this plastic and mold... The copied groove of like someone got a hold of say it was usually jazz it was usually basically it was what the Amer- American toffee noses were calling race music in the fifties oh. it was these jazz records these rock records they would get a hold of them uh, and would cut out you know like a like a you know a record uh, out of these plastic x-ray films and then press the the record groove into them and make a flexi. I don't know, you know, if uh, everybody out there knows, like a flexi used to be this kind of uh, sort of disposable single that could be inserted into a magazine, you know, this kind of thin plastic thing. And what's awesome about these is that, like, so many of these would still have images of bones on them. And oh, that's I, awesome. I can't. I, I want to do that now. <laughs> I want to do it so bad. I want to like how fucking DIY to take fucking images of like rib, and they were they were referred to as in slang as bones or ribs. You would, like, go looking for ribs. And it would be, like, these images of a rib cage or a skull with fucking St. Louis blues pressed into it that you put on your record player. And that is just, like, the beautiful metaphorical levels to, like, unfurl in that are just awesome. And it really, like, the spirit <laughs> of the, you know, the, the, the Soviet people, these Soviet citizens, is really incredible. Uh, One thing that was kind of interesting to learn is that the the kind of we tend to think of the ussr as this one unit but there was a lot of variation in the various constituent republics so in the then the proper russian federation the state control over music was a lot it was a lot more effective so what you had was in the kind of the border republics like say Kristaps' own latvia you had a lot less state control over music and that's actually where some of the first soviet rock and roll bands got together um, I was reading in an article that uh one of the first rock and roll shows ever played in the Soviet Union was a bunch of dudes in a Latvian factory played a show for their coworkers, uh, playing Chuck Berry covers. Uh just like just a fucking pop up show. And I mean that's fucking rock and roll as hell. <laughs> I mean it's yeah. it's really pretty amazing. And uh and, and there were you know and to even to even get to the point where you could because you think about like the, the the state control over everything or attempted state control over everything also meant that it was really hard to get a hold of an electric guitar <laughs> like that was like yep. unless you were part of one of these state approved you know vocal groups these these flute rock vocal groups that Glenn was talking about it was really difficult to get a hold of any instruments so you know what these guys did they fucking built their own they would cut guitar bodies out of like tables like solid wood like tabletops and they would use wire, like sort of like uh, like you know copper wire or whatever wire they get that hold of for the strings, and use telephone receivers as the pickups on these. And that's DIY, motherfuckers. Like that's oh wow, yeah, that really is. <laughs> that's not even that's not even like it's one thing to go out there and like rent a Telecaster and bang out some tunes with your with your pals in the garage. Like that's pretty damn DIY. When you have to go out there and build your own guitar to do that. My hat is off to you. That is some serious rock and roll spirit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I even uh, I even uh, I even came across an old uh, maximum rock and roll article from the 80s where they sent somebody to kind of do a dispatch about underground punk rock in in Russia at the time in the Soviet yeah. Union. And um uh, what I thought was hilarious is that um the guy was kind of saying that the music resembled more like uh, what was what would be called college rock at the time like kind sure. of like a fuzzy kind of pop sound like yeah, um yeah. like 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 uh, uh,
3: say the feelies maybe? <laughs> maybe maybe i'm trying to think maybe, of like jangle yeah. pop bands
1: <laughs> maybe like yeah the feelies or yeah, the feelies good earth albums or some of those other ones like that um some of those early bands like my bloody valentine or something Um, where, uh, cause they didn't really know from punk rock. It was hard enough to get punk rock albums in the eighties in America. They just kind of would read about punk rock and then do what they thought punk rock sounded like. So it ended up being kind of a fuzzy folk music. Which That's is kind of what awesome. we're talking about. Like yeah. we're, we're talking about REM, really. I mean, you know, um, sure. <laughs> right. Or are and are like, go in the Man or something, or I don't know, uh, one of the, one <laughs> of those, of those uh, uh, pop uh, bands. Some of those,
3: uh, yeah, some of those like Sarah Records bands from the late '80s, early '90s in the UK.
1: Oh, um, oh yeah, some of those. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know that much about those type of bands, so sorry. Uh, um, you, you you wouldn't like them. It's very twee. <laughs> oh yeah. Probably what's the the wedding the the wedding present or one of those bands? Uh, and, yeah. Yes, and the wedding present is amazing. But yeah, so that, that be... <laughs> yeah, one of those. It sounds like so. I thought that was pretty cool too. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the evolution of uh, Russian pop music in the Soviet uh, era. Unless uh, you have anything else to add, there, Daniel. Well, there, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, and that's the
3: kind of the dawning discovery of how powerful rock and roll and pop music could be in kind of the, the seventies and eighties. And, and it's not so much, I don't think it's a matter of the actual music itself being revolutionary, but I think there's something about pop music that can help people express what they're already feeling. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think because the the Carter administration and the Reagan administration actually made it policy to play a lot of western pop music and uh and and rock music over the radio free europe radio channels these were like radio stations that were specifically built to broadcast into the soviet union so that anyone in the soviet union who had a radio could pick up on them and hear the voice of the west almost and i read that there was um there was actually controversy in the reagan white house those old fuddy-duddies about whether they even ought to be encouraging using such degenerate music, even in the cause of toppling communism. (laughs) (laughs) It would
1: be in Reagan's America.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just wants another, he just wants a a fine, you know, swing combo at the malt shop, I guess. But, uh, but there was still, you know, even the Soviet regime, like uh, I think like they, they started recognizing that people enjoyed it and you could let these things in. Like Elton John was one of the first, Western pop performers to perform in the Soviet union. And I think it was 1979, something like that. And then when, of course with Gorbachev with perestroika, the openness policy, you know, it just all came flooding in and it, and I, and I think it's more there, there are some people talking about the role that rock and roll played in the collapse of the communist regime. And I don't think it was a causation thing, but I think it was very much a matter of here was a new avenue of expression, a new way to actually I, I, one of my favorite things that just as an aside that I learned about was like in the 80s, uh, especially there was a particular genre I forget what it was called I, I should have taken a note but there was a particular like type of writing you would do in music where you would be writing lyrics that were on the face of them uh, critical of the United States and the Western regimes and like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher but really they were clearly about Gorbachev and the Soviet regime, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is just again, nice. that awesome DIY spirit in, uh, in the, in the hearts and minds of the people who lived under these regimes. And I, and I really think like it would be, it would be too much to credit rock and roll with toppling communism, but I think it made it rock and roll and pop music helped make the times that much more exciting for everybody. When it when it was when they could see that it was all coming crashing down, it was a way for them to engage with those feelings, and uh, and you know I, I I think I I can speak for both of us, Glenn, when we say that pop music and and rock music and in and its, in its infinite variety, especially, are are things that are very important in our lives. That's something that we have both. Uh, it, it's something that just taps into our soul in a very real way, and to think about the way that it is that it helped to so think about the way that it affected these people, you know, living under the Soviet regime in a, in a similar way and touched their hearts in these kinds of ways. It's very interesting. And uh, to think about, and I, I like to think, I like to think that you and I would have put together one of those like banging together on homemade guitars kind of bands. man. Oh yeah. I, th- I think that, I don't, you know... I don't...
1: yeah. When okay. you go into the history of music, when you go into the human, you know, relationship with music ever since the first guy, you know, you know, hit a rock twice with a stick. I mean, there's just something that's there. I mean, I I really don't... Yeah. I don't really think that music is a luxury. I think it's a necessity to the human condition. Um, And I think that it's a universal language. Um, So I think that definitely you could say that it was part of the exciting times. And a way of saying, like, hey, can can the United States be so bad? You listen to this Chuck Berry song. They're having a great time over there. Um, You know, so it it brought us together. I mean, so... Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it has a very
3: you know, a kind of universalizing effect. But yeah, so I think uh, all right. It looks like uh, actually I can I can see it now. Uh, yeah, it looks like some Step Nomads have rolled up. They've been jamming down oh. on some of their step string instruments. That commissar is boogieing. I can see it. Oh, oh man. Oh yeah. So right. here's what we do. We blackmail them. I'll go over there oh. and and we'll say we saw you. We're gonna report you to the commandant unless you let us go and we'll be out of here in no time, and we'll rest our show back from Christoph's and Alice.
1: Although, a fine job they did in hosting, but, I mean, come on. We need to be back on top. Oh, yeah. yeah we'll do that, but first, let's, let's fashion some crude instruments out of wood and telephones, and then, like, just jam out <laughs> on, like, Hawkwind's Space Ritual album for a while with these guys. Hell, yes. I'm <laughs> into it. <laughs> All right. And we'll be back, and we'll take our show back And we'll show you Christophs with the power of rock and roll.
0: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv will rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our co-hosts in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you.
2: Traffic jams, tailgating,